You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM. This is The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Charlie Smith, the editor of Vancouver. Charlie, how are you this morning? Oh, I'm well, thanks, Montarin. It's great to be back on Spice Radio. Always a pleasure to have you. And Charlie, I'm not going to lie, I'm so excited about the sun that we're going to get today and tomorrow. I think it's going to do us all some good, don't you think? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It actually was one of the grimmest springs we've had in a long time. I totally agree. I agree because I also found that like I'd be talking to a lot of people and they'd say, I'm not feeling so great. And I said, I think the reason we're all not feeling great is we don't have sunshine. So I know I'm going to take in as much vitamin D as possible this weekend, Charlie. But also, Charlie, there's a 10 going on. So first off, I want to get your thoughts on. So the federal workers strike, they're in their 10th day now and negotiations are continuing. What are some of the main concerns here and is the end near for this? I'm wondering if the end is getting closer, because the the federal government offered a 9% wage increase over three years. Now the union has scaled back its demands to 13.5% over three years. Um, uh, um, So I think that shows they're getting closer. The other issue is remote work, and uh, the union was was pushing hard for this, but it only affects a certain percentage of the workers. Some workers, you know, if you're a prison guard, for instance, you you have to go to work and do that from home. And and there are a lot of federal jobs like that. So I've been wondering if the remote work, the union's uh, demand on remote work is that it be put in the collective agreement, which then would mean that, that if... Uh, a worker disagreed with a decision by a manager, they could go into the grievance process, which involves lawyers. It actually involves costs to the union, too. And uh, it has the potential to be a bit of a mess, even though, you know, I think remote work is a good thing because it's better for the environment and all of that. But from the federal government's position, as they want to have the final say on whether someone works, the managers want to have the final say on whether someone works from home or not. I have a hunch that the union may cave on that because uh, I also don't think there's a great deal of public support uh, for all the people who do go to work. Um, they want to work from home. So then it becomes the wage issue. They're getting closer on the wages. I could see the federal government boosting its uh, offer. Uh, the, the Treasury Board president was not saying that this was the final offer. We wouldn't go higher than that. So, and the fact that they're still talking, I think, and also the federal government, it's going to be a mess on a whole bunch of areas for them. There's a lot of pain. If the immigration backlog continues, if the passport backlog, uh, we start seeing that again, um, that will be a problem. Um, there's Revenue Canada and the collection of money and the tax deadline coming up on May 1st. So so the federal government has an incentive to to end this thing, and the the union seems to have scaled back somewhat, and, and in labor negotiations, you often ask for the moon, and then that gives you room to, to go back and still have a decent wage increase for your workers. Inflation is also coming down, so that's, um, I think, going to make it easier for the union to sell a wage increase that might be in the 4% range or something over three years. So we'll see where it goes, but but I wouldn't rule out a potential settlement.
Yeah, anything is possible. So let's see now. Charlie, something that a lot of us, I think, are eagerly awaiting here is the B.C. government's decision, which is, I think, going to be unveiled probably, what, in 10 minutes from now. Are we going to have the Surrey Police Service or the RCMP? Do you have any idea where they're going to go? Nobody knows. I'm going to go out on a limb, and I could be wrong. I'm going to bet that the uh, Mike Farnworth sticks with the Surrey Police I think it's going to be controversial. Um, it'll, it could, has the potential to be a municipal election or a provincial election issue. Um, and part of the reason is that he can justify he can justify either one. Um, and Brenda Locke obviously wants the RCMP, and she won the mayoral election, but she didn't win by much. Uh, she only won by I think two percent, twenty nine percent to twenty seven percent, or something like that. And there were other candidates in the race, too, who were not um, calling for the end of the Surrey Police Service. I think the Surrey Police Service is more popular with voters of South Asian ancestry. Um, I think they look at the RCMP and, and some of the challenges in Surrey and feel that uh, maybe we'd be better served. I think having Wally Opal associated with the transition as well. Um, I think Doug McCallum had significant support within the South Asian community. So, and then the NDP as a provincial party, um, you know, it's kind of swimming in the same direction. And so that's my bet. Um, but it's going to be expensive. And I think the mayor of Surrey's, if that happens, is going to be very upset. And we'll say the province is imposing all these costs on us because the, um, municipal police force is going to be more expensive uh, but at the end of the day um, that's where I think it's going to go and possibly um, the BC government will will come up with a way to make it a little more palatable the Surrey council's very divided on this too like um, you know councillor Annis wants a referendum um, so it's not as if Surrey is all of one mind. And the other thing is, one of the people who voted for, uh, with Brenda Locke on her team, is a former RCMP officer who has family members in the RCMP. So the the uh, union representing the Surrey Police Service is, is claiming that he shouldn't have been allowed to vote. Um, and that's something that went has gone before the ethics person in Surrey. So it's a big mess. Um, but on balance, that's my prediction. Ooh, quite the prediction, Charlie. See, I thought it might go the other way, only because my thing is, is like, okay, if they do go with the SPS, will they have enough people to recruit? And will those working for the RCMP, are they willing to jump ship and join, you know, the SPS or go elsewhere where the RCMP exists? So I don't know, but this will be interesting. You you might be right. That's a very good argument. Right? Like, that's what I was thinking. But again, I could be totally off with this. So let's see. The one thing with the provincial, you know, if it's the if it's a street police service, the province actually gets to support appoint a bunch of board members and to the board, and so that's one thing where the provincial government can have some influence. The other thing is, I can I think they're going to expect the liberals to support retaining the RCMP, the, the or BC United, I should say. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, Kevin Falcon's team. And they've got Eleanor Sturco in the caucus, and she's former RCMP and all of that. So 
they might be looking at this as an, a clear dividing line to go to voters in the next uh, provincial election in Surrey, where elections are often won and lost. The other issue that Mike Farnworth was raising during the discussion was what happened in the um, commission of inquiry into the, the, the mass murder in, in Nova Scotia and suggesting that, well, this is now going to influence our thinking too. We have to take this into consideration. And that really irritated uh, supporters of the RCMP in, in Surrey. Um, but on balance, I think, uh, this is my prediction. So we'll find out whether I'm right or I'm wrong. It's okay. We, we will see. We're literally a few minutes away, so we're going to find out very soon. And now, finally, Charlie, you wrote a very interesting piece in Vancouver about James Corden. He has now finished hosting the Late Late Show on CBS, and he did have quite a run. But I want to ask you, Charlie, you know, when it comes to late night, I mean, how many people are still watching late night TV? Because as we're well aware of, the way we watch TV has changed so much the last 10, 5 years even alone. So what do you think of the future of late night TV? Yeah, I think it, it, James Corden actually has shown us the future in a way, in that he revolutionized late night TV. Like you've got most of them, they sit at a desk and interview people or offer commentaries. Um, but what James Corden did is he would do these unusual things, like his carpool karaoke, and he would get major, major stars, like you know Adele, Paul McCartney, Justin Bieber, you know. Madonna, um, Lady Gaga, and then he'd drive around L.A. and uh, they would sing songs together with Paul McCartney. They were in Liverpool, actually. Uh, And so by doing that, he's building up audience uh, through social media and YouTube and things like that where they can generate advertising revenue. So even though the audience for the actual show isn't what it used to be in the pre-internet period, um, they're able to create new audiences during the day. So he would do these crazy things like jump out of a plane with Tom Cruise. Well, you never saw Jay Leno or David Letterman, you know, other late-night hosts do anything like that. And then the other thing he did, which I thought was interesting, was trying to build a global audience, um, which you can do online by bringing on some of the K-pop stars. So he'd bring on BPS for his carpool, or he did another segment with them, which was, uh, you know, the crosswalk concerts. And they would take up, take over a, con- a crosswalk in in Los An- downtown Los Angeles and do these concerts. And he's done a few of it with other bands too, and um, and then recently he had Blackpink, which is the most successful female K-pop band in history, and they're driving around LA, and and I think that's what his genius in a way was to reinvent and anticipate, okay, things are changing. I'm not going to have as many people watching me late at night. Let's get them watching during the day, you know, on other media and sports cast, the sports people are doing this too, with the, you know, trying to flood the zone in, in terms of not just TV, but going over devices and everything else. That's true. So much has changed. And I feel like ever since he's done that too, you even see Jimmy Fallon doing the same thing. He's posting his content on YouTube and all the other late night hosts too. So I guess it's not the end of it. But the question is, Charlie, maybe it's a bit too soon to ask this. Do we know who's going to be now taking over James Corden's position? Any idea? Uh, I don't know. I think 
part of it is often in these situations they like to let the existing host have his or her farewell and almost the victory lap and all of that, which we're seeing last night was the last show actually. And then, and then they wait a little while and they have interim hosts or whatever. And then, then they make some big announcement, but they can also test drive hosts by having a series of interim hosts and then see which ones the audience respond to. So it's almost like a focus group. Uh. (laughs) And, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that, but maybe they'll just just announce someone to come in. Uh, I think the the big competitor for James Corden is Seth Meyers, mm. who skews older. He skews a little more current affairs, and new, more of a newsy crowd likes him. Uh, he does a lot on politics and things like that. So perhaps we'll see someone like Corden, who's far more entertainment oriented, uh, replace him. That would be my guess. That'd be interesting. Big shoes to fill there, Charlie. But thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend and enjoy the sunshine. Okay, thank you, Mancari. Have a great weekend.